Hi, it's Rafe Palmer, another episode of I Just Want This Done. And uh, as always with me is Rahul Iyer. How's things? Hey, how are you, Rafe? Good, how are you? Awesome. So uh, we got a great show today. Got several things we're gonna talk about today. We have um, Halle Berry paying child support. We've got, we're gonna talk about that. We've got, should kids really, be, I'm gonna talk about, should kids really be number one? People always say kids should be number one. Um, I will talk about that. And uh, Jessica Alba's husband uh, admitted they had a breakup over jealousy issues. We'll talk about that. Then um, we're gonna have Rahul talking about the most expensive divorces ever amid fears over Britney Spears prenup with Sam Ashgari. That should be interesting. And um, some interesting stuff. Another article from Psychology Today, one of our favorite places. Uh, are you working too hard at your relationship? So some things to think about with that. Then uh, you've got an interesting one, another article, seven ways to cope with separation or divorce that will be useful. The Barbenheimer dating trend explained and a cringeworthy discussion we're gonna have about a guy who has a, a person who does matchmaking and uh, dating consulting, including consulting a guy who has a seriously bad uh, profile on Hinge and this person's <laughs> getting coaching about how to improve it. So that's what we've got on the show. And uh, let's start out. So tell us about, to start, let's talk about this Halle Berry child support issue. Yeah, absolutely. So Halle Berry and Oliver or Olivier Martinez uh, have one child, Maceo, I believe. He's nine years old. And they just recently settled their divorce and custody case. So as part of that, of course, uh, Halle Berry has to pay child support. So it's interesting because the uh, we don't have the full judgment or agreement that they reached, but we just have little snippets that we see online. And it says that she has to pay $8,000 a month in child support to Martinez. And that she'll also pay, in addition to that, 4.3% of any income she receives over $2 million in additional support. So that sounds like a, uh, a true up, which I'll touch on here in a second. And then she also has to shoulder the cost of private school tuition, uniform school supplies, and extracurricular activities. And she'll pay him back retroactively to the 23-24 school year. And so it's uh, something that uh, I'm sure took a while to negotiate and come to terms with. I know you and I, we deal with this kind of stuff almost every day, and we're always discussing yeah. this with clients, other attorneys. Uh, and so it's interesting to see that the celebrities are, you know, normal people just like us. So they go through the right. same things. And um, what, what's the, did they negotiate this out of court or was that this wasn't a trial? This is settled? This is all settled. It wasn't a trial. It was settled. And so they determine these numbers for child support and, you know, 4.3%, things like that, you know, based on, we're not privy to what they based it upon, but, uh, you know, I have a few guesses, right? So let's talk about, for example, how is child support determined? California or any other jurisdiction, every jurisdiction does it a little differently. Here in Illinois, we're Chicagoland divorce lawyers. So here in Illinois, we can sort of speak with some level of authority and we have recently implemented recently now it's about four years ago five years ago these uh income sharing tables that the state of illinois uses that prior to we would have percentages right so they'd say hey i have one child i'm paying 20 percent of my net income for child support i got right. two kids 28 percent. so that changed to now account for both parties incomes 
And so the state really puts uh, together this chart and they're constantly revising it every year, every two years as, as, as inflation, you know, cost of living, everything changes. So what you do essentially is you'll see, okay, so my significant other and I, we have X dollars of income. So the table will have a level of income for you. So you'll go down on the X axis or, or the Y axis, you'll see what that is. And then it'll say, how many kids do I have? So you'll go to the other, you know, to the other axis to, to see how many kids you have. And that's the amount of support that you're going to have to pay, like from a functional point of view. Now that will then be allocated between two of you. So the parent who doesn't have custody, just for lack of a better word, will have to pay their proportion of that dollar amount to the other parent because that other parent right. will certainly pay it to themselves. So the state puts out this fancy calculator that you just put all these inputs and in, it'll kind of spit you out your numbers. So it makes it easier. But from a theoretical point of view, that's how child support is calculated. I'm sure all other states have their own respective calculators as well. So 8,000 is probably uh, something to do with her probably you know, average or base. She won't have a base salary like a worker would, but you know, they would look at her various contracts and, you know, income streams and then say, okay, that's a number I can live with uh, prior to receiving any additional income at the end of the year, which is that 4.3%, which we call a true up uh, for anything over $2 million, which basically means, Hey, you know, give me your info after the year. Tell me what you made. If it's over 2 million, let's say she made 4 million. Then you take the two she's already paid on, uh, you know, the 8,000, and then you have two more that she hasn't paid on. So she'll give them 4.3% of 2 million, which, okay. uh, would be done. So it's a cool system. It's nice to see that they've kind of worked this out and they just want to get done. So get this. I've looked, I'm looking up her income. Says her net worth is about 120 million. <clears throat> Drop in the pond, I guess. Assets 85 million, investments 50, salary per movie roughly 10 or 12 million, annual income 36 million dollars. So 4.7 business income percent of... 20. That's going to be a big number. That's a huge number. So they must have some sort of working agreement to see what to do with that because he, in his own right, is also a very famous uh, celebrity actor, you know, et cetera. So it's not like he is just some Joe Schmo who's, you know, won the Powerball here. So yeah, I mean, her, I, I'm just reading here, and it says her average income per film. So she, they show several of her movies Catwoman, 7 million, X Men, 9, Die Another Day, 11, Kingsman, 2, 6, John Wick, 12 million. Um, that's in the 2000s. But then she's got some business ventures and stuff. Um, some sounds like some smart investments, too. But uh, yeah, net worth jumped. Uh, $12 million alone between 22 and 23. If you believe this article, I don't know if this is caknowledge.com. I don't know what this thing is, but uh, you know, we're, we're getting this from website, website folks. We don't know for sure, but I'm guessing they're getting some of this somewhere. Uh, might be some decent sources. Anyway, it's a lot of money, kind of no matter how you slice. And, and, you know, and I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, because they had, this might be a nice little tip here for people, just because you're negotiating child support doesn't mean that uh, everything in this divorce was up for grabs. They might have still had a, you know, quote unquote, ironclad prenup or, or whatever else. We don't really know exactly at this point, but you can't really contract for child support in a prenuptial agreement or premarital yep. agreement, nor can you contract for custody. So those things will still have to go through a, a, appropriate channels in the judicial system or private mediation. So that's why you, you hear these kind of things coming out. That's not to say everything was up for grabs necessarily. 
Yeah, people will say, well, the prenup didn't work. It, you know, they, they don't have child support. The child support number is ridiculous, but that's exactly the point you're making is they can't cover child support by law because a court has to approve it. It's like a violation and of you, public policy, right? So, Yeah, and you don't know what the future holds. You don't know how many kids you're going to have or how much income you'll have, so you can't predetermine the, the figure. So that's interesting. That makes sense. Um, so uh, and you, we are with true ups. Uh, those are typically annual, right? I mean, usually it's a yearly thing. Right. It's a yearly thing. It happens usually right around tax time. But, you know, with uh, people who don't have traditional streams of income, uh, you'll file extensions. You might be filing, uh, you know, you and I, we filed quarterly taxes. I mean, or I mean, quarterly, quarterly payments. Uh, taxes. I, it's sort of one of those where they'll have their sort of methodology on how to and when to perform this 4.3% analysis. But safe to say, it'll either be a fiscal year or a calendar year, who knows. So it's interesting to note that. It's funny, though, because we say $8,000 a month here. You know, this is a pale comparison to what uh, Christine Baumgartner is receiving, because I think she's making a request now that the $129,000 that she gets every month is not is not enough for child support. And so yeah. uh, she wants a little bit more. So it's funny to see how these two things are uh, compared to one another. Yeah, no, that, that's really interesting. So um, the next the next thing we're going to talk about is um, the question, should the kids really be number one? Um, people always say, you know, oh, the kids should be number one. You put them first and all that stuff. And but is that really the best thing? And in the, my second book I'm writing right now, I talk about this issue. And um, I think people putting too much energy into their children and neglecting their marriage is a problem in many marriages. And I was curious about this because to my mind, it's a fairly new phenomenon. And we've heard the term helicopter parent. And I was doing some research for the book. I came across articles about helicopter parenting and I was curious about when it started, you know, like when did I started hearing about that as an adult? I'd never heard that term when I was a kid. The term when I was a kid was like latchkey children. I'm a Gen Xer and my parents both worked and I came home from school and there was a key under the mat and that's how my sister and I got in the house. My mom was a teacher. She came home about an hour after we got home from school and my dad would get home at like five 30. So, We'd leave a note. This is very old school. It tells how old I am. We'd leave a note telling my mom where we went if we went to some friend's house. And uh, in the summer, I was supposed to be home when the streetlights came on. <laughs> so, or my dad yeah, would no, whistle. And I would hear him. If my dad whistled, he had to, could whistle really loud, not with a whistle, but with his mouth. You could hear him blocks away. And he'd, I'd, he'd whistle and I would hear him and I, could, I would come home. Those were the days before cell phones and everything. So, whistling's um, a lost art. Yeah. And, and people are, but what's interesting is now people schedule the hell out of their kids and they're constantly, it's a three ring circus with their children. They're in travel sports. They're in, they're going to camps and stuff on these sports in the summer. You know, when I was a kid after T-ball where baseball was done, kids had the whole summer off, you know, and, and maybe you were taking some lessons somewhere for a month or you know, my mom made me take tennis lessons in the summer one time, or maybe you're on a swim team in the summer. But most kids had the summer wide open and okay. lots and lots of unscheduled time. And that just doesn't happen anymore. Kids are busy beginning to end. The, the summer almost doesn't really get rolling ever, except for 
a short time like in July when everybody seems to take vacation. And then school starts earlier than I ever remember. It's, people were back in school in mid-August, and it used to be like Labor Day. So we have this kind of creeping school year that's getting longer, kids being more scheduled than ever, parents exhausted running their kids all over the place, doing all this stuff to try to check all the boxes. And so I was like, well, where the hell did this all come from? And started researching this stuff. And I came across this interesting article by Julie Lithgott Haynes, and it's in Business Insider. So head to, to Business Insider. Not We love Insider. I've actually been featured there. And um, this article was about like this, what happened to create this? And it turned out, I did a little more digging, and Julie, uh, the author of the article, Julie Lithgott Haynes, wrote this book, How to Raise an Adult. And it, it's thick. It's like full of good stuff. And she, in the book, talks about where this problem kind of came from and how we need to raise more independent, resilient children. And the book is a how-to guide. It's really well done. I've been looking at it for my book. But in the article, she says, um, you know, when a parent, you know, and she says, many of us remember a time when, in, in comparison, parents were rather uninvolved in childhood. And it said, uh, when a parent, usually a mom, would throw the door open on week after, weekday afternoons and tell us, go out and play and come home for dinner. Our parents had no idea where we were and exactly what we were doing. There were no cell phones for keeping in touch or GPS tracking. Off we went into the wilderness of our block, our neighborhood, our town, vacant lots, parks, woods, our malls. Sometimes we snuck a book and sat on the back steps. I totally remember this stuff. And when I got, when my grandfather, both my, our grandparents told us stories. My grandfather, uh, Grandpa Palmer, wandered his town. He was from Stickney, Illinois. He wandered vacant lots and back alleys and everything all day long. He wasn't home at all. You know, they were having BB gun wars out in the in open lots and all kinds of adventures and misadventures. But and my mom told me stories about how her parents put her and her, my uncle on a train when they were five and three years old to go to New York from Chicago overnight train. No, no supervision other than the train, the railroad staff on this Pullman car watched the kids and made sure they're OK and then got them out of the train and waited till. Uncle so-and-so showed up at the train station and picked up the kids. And it just, that's how life was. And she talks about why did this change? And it's interesting. A number of important shifts happened in the mid-80s. In 1983, one shift arose from the increased awareness of child abductions. The tragic 1981 abduction and murder of a young child named Adam Walsh famously became the start of uh, Mr. Walsh's career. And now he's still out there talking about the dangers of child abductions, and he started that TV show um, to help, you know, fight crime. Uh, the the uh, story became a made-for-TV movie called Adam, seen by 38 million people. The faces of missing children began staring out at us in milk cartons. Walsh's father, John Walsh, went to Congress to lobby. He, cre he helped create the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in 1984 to publicize this, and his show was America's Most Wanted, which many of us are familiar with aired on Fox beginning in 1988. Our Fear of Strangers was born. I would say our fear for strangers really grew then. Um, another shift, the idea that our children aren't doing enough schoolwork, appeared with the publication of a book called The Nation at Risk in 1983. Um, then federal policies came out like No Child Behind, Race to the Top. They've pushed this achievement culture, emphasizing rote memorization and test scores, things like that. American kids and parents 
soon began struggling under the weight of more homework, began doing whatever it takes to survive at school. We see the rise of Kumon. We see the rise of private tutoring, uh, of uh, rise of online training uh, like Khan Academy. You know, these, I mean, obviously the advent of internet and online tools revolutionized education too. But there's this mindset that, in, and also increasing demand for colleges. So it's much harder to get into University of Illinois now than it was when I got in. And it wasn't easy to get in when I got in. But now I hear people getting 36s on the ACT getting rejected. I got a 29 and, and was gladly accepted. I was comfortably over the bar to get admitted in Illinois at that time. And I had a real good GPA. Well, now that's challenging. And so the, the level of competition is higher. Parents feel that pressure, I think. Um, and we also have like the rise of the self-esteem movement for children. We should help children succeed. Um, that, uh, you know, the, the creation of the play date around the, in the eighties, we have to schedule play times, busy parents and their kids, like, kids getting over scheduled. The term helicopter parent was devised in the in the early 1990s. So, um, the oldest members of the helicopter generation turned 30 around 2010. So uh, they were Gen Y or millennials. So this is interesting in the late, and this person is a college professor, the writer. In the late nineties, the first of millennials began going to college. My colleagues and I at Stanford began to notice a new phenomenon, parrots on the college campus virtually and literally. They were injecting themselves in their kids' actual school lives. And my parents didn't, do much at all to get involved. My dad took me to orientation in college. It was about it and dropped me off. You know, brought my stuff down there. But now parents are like writing their kids essays or hiring people to write their essays. And so long story short, there is a mindset now that for your kid to get ahead, you need to be tremendously involved in their lives and that parents need to be super involved. Well, what's the side effect? The side effect is this sucks energy out of your marriage. If you're putting tons of energy into your children, that's got to happen during your free time because you're working also to pay the bills. It's hard enough just to put food on the table and be successful in your career and grow your or grow your business and all that stuff, much less uh, raise children at this level to have them in travel sports and um, achieving at this, you know, playing piano and getting A's in school and doing all these things like checking all the boxes, you know? Um, how, what was your experience when you were a kid growing up? It was sort of a, I would say, you know, I think this very, article is very interesting um, because typically you don't put, you, you don't have an article that says don't put kids first, right? The slogan is kids always come first or you always have to worry about the kids. Everything else will fall into place. But it sort of talks about the yeah. pitfalls of falling into place means, right? It's sort of like, where does it deteriorate? Because you only have so much rope. And if you're pulling it over here, there's not enough rope here. So you know, it was an interesting experience. I grew up in the, I don't know what gen I would call myself, but, you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And so I'd say uh, uh, in Canada. So, I mean, it's sort of one of those where we're always a few years behind for the United States. And it's a little bit of both, right? You have, you know, I started looking at computers and started playing, you know, these two-dimensional games on the computer maybe when I was, I don't know, 10, 9, 10, or maybe 8, 9, 10. So yeah. prior to that, it's sort of like the same thing you said go play, go play with your friends. You know, we'd have little bicycles. So we'd ride around and just come back before dark. And, and then you would just stay outside all day. I mean, that's just what happened. You'd get a couple of nickels, you know, you'll get a gumball and, you know, you just 
he kind of just went to stuff. I I go to my own doctor's appointments because he was down the street and I would just bike over there. So it's it's one of those because you had your folks working and you you know they didn't necessarily have as much time for you and they had other jobs and you know things to delineate. Not to say I, you know I you know I got enough and I got plenty of affection right. and supervision and everything, but it was sort of more of a hands off kind of thing. Um, yeah. I can't say that my Me younger too. brother had that experience, but it's sort of one of those where I really notice now how much sort of, um, I don't want to call it coddling, but how much just sort of, like you said, control or oversight parents have on these kids. And, you know, I always think I'm like, you know, what would I have done differently if I, if I had all that oversight, right? You know, if I went, if I got some tutoring or if I did X, Y, and Z or, you know, I wouldn't trade my experience for anything, but it's just always interesting yeah. to think about how it would be. And, you know, I don't, I necessarily, I don't necessarily envy the kids these days. Let me just put it that way. Yeah. My, both my parents worked too, like I said, and I had a similar experience and I never felt unloved. I never felt like I didn't get enough attention. We ate dinner together every night. Yep. Um, that's something I would recommend to anybody to do is make sure you eat dinner together as a family every night. And, um, I failed to do that in my first marriage with my young children. I worked late. She got home earlier. She'd have dinner with the kids. I would show up later, which in hindsight was a mistake I made. We did a lot of things right. Um, I think in hindsight, my boys are 22 and 26 now. They've been very, they've done very well. Uh, we had a very loose leash on them and we had certain expectations in terms of school and um, doing the right thing, like being good kids, but we gave them lots of responsibility and freedom and tried to balance those things. You know, if you do your do the right thing and you're a good kid, you'll get a lot of freedom and it's also a big responsibility. And they've been very responsible young. They were responsible kids with their toys and stuff, and they have become very responsible adults. And uh, we didn't helicopter parent them at all. Uh, we guided them. We helped them when they wanted help, but we did not hover at all. And um, we followed the way that we were parented. My ex-wife and I were parented a very similar way. She grew up on a farm. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and her parents were very busy working on the farm. And she was eventually working on the farm too, as a kid. And, um, my job was school and scouts and some sports and stuff, but my parents never pushed me real hard and things other than do the right thing and do things well. But I, I certainly wasn't helicopter parented. And so we applied that to our kids. And I think that was a plus. And I think that the reason this is relatable here, the reason I wanted to talk about it was I think people put a ton of energy into their children and to some extent lose touch in their marriage with each other. They neglect date night. They neglect going on vacations without their children. It, by the way, very important. And you don't have to have a lot of money. You can have a vacation in, in your hometown. But getting away from your children, having your in-laws or whatever take the kids for a few days and spending some quality time together is priceless. And people say, well, I'm not putting the kids first. And they feel we're made to feel guilty now that somehow we're not doing the right thing if we're not with them constantly. Kids need to grow and they need to be away from their parents. It's very good for them. I spent large chunks of time with my grandparents. Uh, my, my parents would go on a vacation for like a long weekend or sometimes a week. And I'd stay with my sister and I would stay with my grandparents for that time. We had a great time. My grandparents were like our other parents. It was like having extra parents because we knew them well and we lived close, not too far from them. 
And so we had fun going over there. It was great. So it, and my parents got a break and they got to get back in touch with each other, which people it's easy to forget. It's easy to get wrapped up in the day to day of child raising and work. And then you don't put the effort into your marriage. Pretty soon you're having marriage problems because men, a marriage like any other relationship requires constant inputs of, of some kind of effort and attention, or it will deteriorate like any other thing like working out or uh, a language. You know, if you, if you stop speaking the language, you're going to forget how to speak. If you stop putting effort into working out, you're going to get overweight and out of shape. And it's, the marriage is no different and, and you don't want to take it for granted. It's, and the justification becomes, well, we're putting the kids first and that's good. Yeah. But if you guys aren't good, how do you think the kid, are the kids going to be better off with a divorce? I can testify they are not. So yeah, my kids are fine now, but they did not enjoy my divorce, nor should they have. And it was rough on them. And I, that's what I regret very much in my divorce. And so if you can keep focused you know, we say, we said many times on this show and social media, we say good marriage is better than a good divorce, you know, put effort into it. So that's, I just thought it was interesting to talk about. Thank you. Um, I think that is really interesting. And I mean, it's, uh, again, one of those articles that we always discuss, it's kind of eye opening, right? You sort of bucks the trend of what people normally say, or at least excuse, right? It's an easy excuse. Why am I not doing anything? Why do I, you know, let's go on a little, you know, date night or let's go to a restaurant. Oh, but we got to watch the kids or we got to do X, Y, and Z. It's like an easy out. That's it right. It gives people an easy out yeah. to not try. Well, right. And we have, we have these, um, these goods in our life that we, uh, we hide behind. So, well, I have to work. Sure. Working is good. Doing advancing your career is good, but too much of a good thing is a bad thing. And, and getting hyper-focused on parenting a not good for your kids. Ultimately, they need to grow and breathe on their own and stuff. And B, not good for the parents. They need to spend time together. And the analogy I like to use to wrap this bit up is when you're on an airplane, they tell you when the oxygen mask drops, put the mask on yourself and then help your child. There's a reason for that. The kids don't know how to put it on themselves. And if you conk out, you can't help your kid. Similarly, if your marriage isn't good, you can't help your kid. A divorce isn't going to do them any good. So keep the oxygen mask analogy in mind next time somebody says, let's skip date night because we got to stay with the kids. Right. They will survive a night with a babysitter. Go have a good time with your spouse. Okay, that's my word of the day. <laughs> that's my Boy Scout good deed of the day for you folks. Okay, next. Uh, and they say, these divorce lawyers want people to stay married. Yeah, we do. We have plenty of work to do. We don't need yeah. another divorce. No. So stay married, take care of your spouse. Okay. Um, next, we got, we're going back to fun stuff. We got uh, Jessica Alba's husband admitting they had a breakup over jealousy issues. Uh-oh. So uh, this was interesting. Husband name, uh, husband's Cash Warren revealed relationship hasn't always been smooth sailing. Now, I would say my editorial comment is not everybody's relationship is always smooth sailing, period. Um, she was, he was on a podcast this week. He admitted they separated four years into the relationship, probably not a great sign, which began over 20 years ago. Warren said when he and Alba started dating, he was really jealous of other guys and the attention she was getting from other guys. Okay, dude, you married Jessica Alba, okay? <laughs> I mean, you know. Comes with the territory. Yeah. If you got jealousy issues, you're really picking the wrong one, you know? Hey, why is your co-star uh, making out with you in the movie? <laughs> yeah. 
you know, and, and she's a superstar, you know? Yeah, so right. it's like, you just sort of live by the sword, by, die by the sword, dude, you know? <clears throat> so he said, it just wasn't making me feel good. I was always a pretty confident person. Next thing you know, I'm looking up and feeling jealous all the time. Well, listen to that voice inside yourself, Cash, or if this is, by the way, if this describes you, before you get married, think about what that's telling you. If you're feeling jealousy for the other person, there's something serious you should pay attention to and not just like let that feeling fester because it will not get better. These things don't age like a fine wine. So see, you get, you get divorce advice from Rahul and me and you get relationship advice. So this is a double bonus, all free of charge. The only thing we ask is our deal we ask you to do is like, share, subscribe. That's all we ask. Otherwise, this is free of charge. We put in all this effort every week. All we ask is like, comment, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank Simple you. Simple click. That's our uh, message here. Uh, any, any sponsors out there, we're happy to sponsor you uh, or take on your sponsorship. Thank you. Just uh, reach out to us, rafe at stglaw.com. Thank you. Or put something in the comments. Okay. Um, I was like, would be. yeah. So he said, I was like, I hate feeling this. It doesn't make me feel good. And I know it doesn't make you feel good. He said, adding, he felt like, he was turning into an a-hole. Hmm, not good. Cash Warren admitted jealousy caused a temporary breakup, which had been together since 04, married since 08. Okay. He said they broke up. He made a promise to channel it into a productive way if they got back together. Good. Okay. Uh, they got married in 2008 after the rough patch. They share three children. Good. All H-name kids. Uh, Honor. Honor, I'm sorry. Haven and Hayes. So hard to say that all in three. The, he said if he ever felt envious of Alba's career, oh, they asked him if he felt jealous of her career. I'm her biggest cheerleader, he said, I never felt jealous toward her for working hard. Okay. Yeah, I don't think he was feeling jealous about her career. I think it was about dudes. I, that's what I was wondering was the jealousy from her success that she's that she's like kind of in the early mid to 2000s, she was blowing up. Uh, or was it because she, you know, you would often get photographed with with them. Dudes, is this guy, is this guy a star? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Do oh, you know okay. this Cash Warren guy? I don't know who this guy is. I think he's a producer, so I think he's, uh, uh you know, I think he's behind the scenes in movies. I, uh, okay, I, I don't know his level of celebrity stardom like Jessica Alba's because he doesn't, you know, people know Cash Warren because he's Jessica Alba's husband, they don't know Cash Warren because he's a film producer. I, I, I mean, and that's not um, to say, you know, make any sort of judgment call. I'm just saying that's sort of the first right. reflex thought you get. Not to so this is, like, you know, this, yeah, this is stuff we get from press reports, by the yeah, way. Right. And we just, so the, the, the nugget of information here to extract from this is obviously never, not happy to hear about somebody getting divorced, but the, the nugget here is the first sign of trouble was in, four years into the relationship, they broke up and uh, from jealousy issues. Those things don't tend to go away. And even though he said, I'll channel it into something else, that means he's still feeling it. So mm -hmm. it was kind of on him and he decided to get back together with her. And we don't know under the hood what was going on in the relationship or what went sideways. But we have seen this in our cases where we will hear when we ask questions about what happened, you know, clients will tell us their story and they'll say they're getting divorced. And more likely than not, there's some sign of trouble. So usually quite a while before they're coming to see us. And 
a lot of times it's some obvious things like we had this on again, off again relationship for several years. We, we dated, he wouldn't marry me. Finally, I got him to marry me. And uh, what, you know, and it's like years later, now we're getting divorced. And so you tend to hear the seeds of the destruction of the relationship. They're, they tend to be fairly early on, not always, but when you have a sort of fundamental issue in the relationship, like a jealousy thing with a superstar, by the way, where that's not going to change. She's not going to stop being famous. You know, it's one thing when somebody goes from nothing to stardom or, you know, they, they're place in life changes radically. But Alba was not going to get really less famous. You know, no. she was going to be an attractive woman and she was going to stay pretty famous for a long time, realistically after this marriage. So if that's what you're jealous about, like her being around other men and she's going to be doing movies and stuff like that, that's just going to happen. So you're, you're like cruising for a bruising with that kind of thing. So right. anyway, what do you, you have any other comments yeah. on that? Yeah, and they're both young. So, I mean, uh, you know, yeah. in general, he's 44, she's 42, I think. So I think, you know, all in all, I think they've done wonderful for themselves in so far as working through these issues. I mean, like you said, to start off this segment, you know, like, there's no relationship that doesn't have problems. That itself is a problem if you don't have any problems. So, I mean, it's so with all sort of the turmoil and everything, you know, kudos to these two for sort of sticking through and having a wonderful family, I guess, uh, fighting through and working through these issues. So I think it's good. Good yeah, stuff. That's, that's cool. Yeah. So um, you've got something we were going to talk about. We, uh, yeah, this was, I wanted to hear about this. Most expensive divorces ever fears over Britney Spears prenup. I don't know what the fears are about, but yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, looking through all this uh, summer of divorces in Hollywood, I was looking to see what are some of the most expensive divorces ever or expensive, meaning not cost or attorney's fees wise, but rather, you know, how much they ended up having to pay or divide as part of the divorce. So that's how we define expensive in this article, I guess. Uh, the article is through the UK mirror. So uh, fears are that uh, for the Britney Spears angle is, is that is this guy, is her husband, Sam Asgari, is he going to contest the prenup? Is he going to fight it? Is he going to try and, like we've talked about previously, negotiate it where he uses some leverage that he may or may not have to try and get a better deal? We don't know. We, we have no idea. And both sides, so both camps are saying different things. So most expensive divorces. A couple of them have Rupert Murdoch in it. So Jerry Hall well, and Rupert Murdoch. You, can I ask you a question before you yeah. move on to yeah. the Britney thing? Doesn't he say something like, I'm going to spill the tea about you or what? Allegedly. What's that about? Yeah. Okay. Allegedly, you know, I don't have the details as far as specifics, but allegedly he he may spill the tea or that's what news reports say, TMZ, you know, all these other uh, sites suggest that he has some information about what it's like to live with Britney Spears and well, how she's like as a person, you know, and he's going to spill the beans about her effectively to damage her financial prospects, right? Ultimately, that's what it comes down to. She has this book deal and she has other, you know, her uh, Las Vegas uh, show. And so, you know, make, maybe making her look bad in the eyes of the media, you know, once that comes out, you can't really put it back in the box. And so I think that may be some sort of leverage that you might be trying to assert to say, well, the prenup says X, but if you give me Y, you know, mom's the word and I go away. I get a feeling that anything this guy could say would not really damage 
Britney's reputation. In, in that, I don't think anybody, if we hear something wacky or unusual, I don't think anybody would be shocked. And people value her as a performer. They don't really care about X, Y, and Z, whatever sordid stuff this guy says he's going to say. You know, people felt bad about her with the conservatorship. And I think right. she got a lot of positive mojo. The hashtag free from, Britney, right? Yeah. And, and I think we talked about it in a previous show. <clears throat> and she got a lot of positive kind of pub and public, I would think, goodwill from mm -hmm. that. And this guy kind of looks like a jerk right now. And we we talk about the meta case, you know, from my book. And in general, we talk about the meta case, M-E-T-A case, like uh, before our friends at Facebook stole the name. But the idea being the meta case is the stuff around the case. The facts and the law is the divorce case. The meta case is all the stuff in the world around it like this, like Britney's public perception and this guy threatening her. Well, now this guy's wearing the bad guy hat, basically. He kind of looks like a jerk in the pu public eye. And anything he's doing to try to dirty her name up, that just isn't winning this guy any friends and influencing people. So, Well, right. And that's I don't funny think you mentioned that. You know, Sorry, God, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, that was, that's it. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, I was going to say, because uh, two comments. One, just most, re you know, uh, uh, right off of what you're saying here. It sounds like he's not getting any acting gigs after this whole thing came out while she's got herself okay. booked. So I don't know if that has anything to do with this. Maybe, like you said, he's vilified himself where he's now the villain and people don't necessarily love it or or who knows what. So that's one. And I think the uh, the angle you said, you know, nothing he can say about Britney Spears will you know, damage her or make her look worse. It's sort of like that uh, I like to call the uh, eight mile rap battle uh, tactic where at the end of that movie, you know, Eminem sort of in that final scene is like rapping and saying, you know what, there's nothing you can say against me that I have. People haven't already said about me. I'm the worst guy. Yeah. You know, I, you know he goes through all this stuff without repeating the words. He's like, now nah, go ahead. Tell me what you're going to say about me. So, and the guy's speechless. He doesn't yeah. know what to say because, you know, what am I going to say now? He's already said everything. So that's what right. people say, you know what, fall on your sword and just do it. And everybody knows about Britney. So what could you really say? Yeah. And, and and even if it's like bad stuff, it still makes him look like a jerk. Exactly. So, exactly. You don't want and, to kick and, uh, someone when they're down necessarily. The other thing too is that whole prenup vibe where people say, you know, I'm being taken advantage of in the divorce, et cetera, and so on. With a celeb, it just doesn't exist. When, when they get a prenup, when they're already an established celebrity, because you know what, you know, they're phenomenally wealthy. You know, their income is astronomical. You know, going in, this isn't a situation where you got married young, you didn't know what you're doing, and you signed this thing, you felt good about it. Then this other person becomes phenomenally successful, and, and you've got nothing, and you raise children with them and all that, and then they kick you to the curb. That isn't what's going on here. These people go into these relationships knowing they want to live that life. They're going to get the benefits of all that life, the yacht and the homes and the jet and everything. I say you were married to Britney Spears. <laughs> yeah. And that, and so you're, you can't be surprised that they're going to want to prenup. You're, you're not surprised about all this stuff. And when you leave the marriage, you know the price you pay is you don't get to be hooked up to that machine anymore. Mm -hmm. And everybody went into that on a level playing field. So that's what it, the public doesn't feel sorry for these folks nah. when I, I think when this stuff happens. So um, so next 
you were going to talk about, uh, this is a good one. This one's seven ways. No, no, to hold on, hold on. With... Wait, let me, let me, oh, let me more? touch on the, uh, what the most expensive divorces are. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. We missed that. Most no, expensive. No, no worries. No worries. I'll be, I'll, I'll run through this real quick. Rupert Murdoch. You don't have to. You can take it. Yeah. Rupert Murdoch had this, uh, in 20, in June, 2022, uh, ended their seven-year marriage with Jerry Hall and the 92-year-old media mogul's fourth marriage. And so he had signed, again, a generous prenup walking down the aisle and received 10, and, and she, she received tens of millions of pounds uh, since it was in the UK, 11 million pound Oxfordshire mansion, and uh, and so on and so forth. So that was one of the expensive ones. Jeff Bezos and Mackenzie Bezos, thirty-eight billion, was a, was a divorce settlement. <laughs> uh, B as in boy, Rupert Murdoch. The divorce, and, the, the Rupert is. A, I'm just looking up his net worth according to Forbes, seventeen billion U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, didn't Mackenzie become one of the richest women in the world just yeah. as a result of divorce? Snap of the yeah. finger, right? Yep, thirty-eight billion uh, uh, placed Mackenzie the fourth spot on Forbes Women Billionaires list, and this is the most expensive and, celebrity divorce recorded. And now Steve Jobs' wife, not divorced from him, but she's one of the wealthiest women in the world, I believe. Oh, is that right? Okay, Lord, isn't that Laureen? Is it? Yeah, Laureen Paul sure. Jobs. Okay. Uh, she we got was, all his yeah. Apple stock, huh? I think so. Um, she's done a lot of philanthropy. Sure. Uh, she's like been very active with that stuff since uh, Steve Jobs' death. And um, I don't know where she falls on that list, but um, interesting. And you know, so anyway, sorry, she's you I'm sorry. Sorry to get you off topic. Oh no, no, I think that's interesting because if she's holding a lot of this in shares in her chair, you know, along with the share price, I mean, the stock, uh, her net worth keeps increasing too. So uh, next on the list, Rupert Murdoch and Anna Mann, 1.7 billion. Mel Gibson and Robin Moore, 425 billion. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Rupert Murdoch is on the list twice? He's on the list twice. Oh, wow. You gotta be a, you gotta be a winner to hit the, not, you're making such big coin and you're marrying all these people that you're on the list (laughs) twice. Oh yeah. And again, at second B, his and boy, billion dollar settlement. A Billy. Yeah, Billy. Mel Gibson and Robin Moore, four twenty five million. Michael Jordan okay. and Juanita Vinoy, one hundred and sixty eight million. Neil Diamond, Marsha Murphy, one hundred up to it says up to one hundred and fifty million. Neil Diamond, wow. Okay. Yeah, Tiger Woods, of course. And Nordgren, one hundred and ten million. Spielberg, 10 no, one hundred and ten million. Oh, one hundred and ten! Wow. Yeah, Steven Spielberg and Amy Irving, one hundred million. Angelina, Bran, uh, you know, Brangelina, right? Brad Pitt, and Angelina Brand- Jolie, a hundred million. Okay. So yeah, I mean, that's for you. I thought that was interesting. I mean, it just kind of tells you kind of the stratosphere where these folks are operating. Well, the, all these links are in the show notes, as always, so that you can go right and look at these articles. So, uh, all right, that's interesting. Um, what's, so, uh, let me see. Oh, we okay. This is one, uh, so next we're going to, do you have any, any more thoughts on that? 
No, no, I, I don't. And I know you have an interesting one coming up here. Yeah, this is um, interesting. The question is, are you working too hard at your relationship? This is uh, from Psychology Today. Uh, shout out. And uh, they said, you know, the line is, you know, relationships take work. They say, you know, we all kind of say, yeah, it takes work. You know, they do. They talk about, though, um, when we, you know, we love somebody, we make an effort to protect people's feelings, accommodate their moods. We learn the topics, memories and circumstances, especially sensitive for our spouses. We take extra care not to aggravate those things on purpose. It's an act of caring to understand our partner's hot buttons and not push, you know, push them. So then, but then they say walking on eggshells is a problem. So that's different. That's when everything seems to upset your partner. You find yourself constantly monitoring their mood, adjusting your everyday normal behavior to avoid negative interactions and consequences. It's a good point. So they said in research on abusive relationships, survivors describe walking on eggshells as a way to avoid angry outbursts of, of abuse. And ultimately it never works because the person gets exhausted you know, wondering what landmine they're going to step on next. So the point in this article is, you know, are, this is part of the working too hard in the relationship. Are you always walking on eggshells? Are you worried you're going to set off your spouse at any moment? That's a sign of a big problem in the relationship, or maybe it could be with the one person. Or are you the person causing your spouse to be gingerly tiptoeing around for fear they're going to get you upset? So that's one. And then <clears throat> it says, you know, it's exhausting and unhealthy to be on constant alert. So um, that's not work we should be doing in most of our interactions. Good point. And then a term they use called white knuckling. Some couples are in a constant space of, of evaluating, is this working? Should I leave? Can we fix what's broken here? Should we even try? This is another kind of work in the marriage to be careful about. Studies find for dating couples desperately trying to stay together or breaking up in cycles and getting back together again over and over is a sign you're not compatible. And that ties into what we were talking before about uh, Cash and, and, and Alba Jessica, being yeah. together. The sign to them is if it's taking tons of work to be together and it's exhausting, that's telling you you're, it shouldn't, there's, a, there's work involved, but it shouldn't be too much work. And that's, there's a fine line between maintenance and constant upkeep, you know, constant mm -hmm effort to, to keep you shouldn't be constantly bailing the boat out if it's always sinking you got a you got a problem and that's something people need to think about in your relationship are you constantly bailing water out of the boat if you are that's a problem if you're plugging leaks now and then that's life keeping on a relationship that isn't working and that's the white knuckling like hanging in there you know ah oh, well, i hope we make it holding on to it that isn't working keeps you from finding somebody who fits your needs better pursuing your own goals outside of a relationship and um, you think, well, it's better for the kids if we stay together. Well, it, is it really? The kids understand they feel something wrong in the relationship. If you're not having a normal love relationship and it's very stressful, the kids feel that strain also. And counselors will tell you this. My counselor told me this too. Um, kids are very per perceptive and they feel the disturbance in the relationship, even at a young age. But even if you don't have children, so if you don't have children, this is kind of easy. But the one thing people do is say, well, we're staying together for the kids. Well, is that really the healthy thing? Is that really the best thing for the kids? Um, and so, you know, we can't diagnose everybody's situation here, but in general, if you're pouring this much energy into the relationship, 
you've got an issue and that energy is not going other places where it should be used. Your own health, your own self-care, your job, your children, all these other things that are important and you have to have a balanced life. So I think it's a great point. And, um, <clears throat> and then the person points out in the article what I'm just saying. It's important to note children have worse outcomes living with parents who are constantly in conflict than they do when parents peacefully go their separate ways. You know, stress on peacefully go their separate ways, but that's a better option. Um, it talks about, you know, what should you do? Try to be the best version of yourself. We have hundreds of opportunities every day to engage our partners with a little kindness, grace, humor, playfulness, and understanding. Can we always do it? No. Life's stressful. So um, maintaining basic courtesy and politeness is a positive type of work. And those are the inputs we should be giving each other to maintain a good relationship. So, um, and being a good problem solver to resolve conflict. That's key. So I uh, hope that helps. I thought it was interesting. So think about it. Are you walking in eggshells or are you making your spouse walk in eggshells? Are you white knuckling? Are you just hanging on because you're going to get to your kid's 18th birthday or they're going to graduate high school or some, you think some magical thing is going to come in and change things? Well, it won't. The issue lies with the two of you, not with some external thing. So I thought that was a good one to talk about. Yeah, um, that is really interesting. No. You were going to talk about seven ways to cope with separation or divorce. So if things don't work out, you're white knuckling too much, ladies and gentlemen. You got too much walking in eggshells. You're getting divorced. What are some good ways to cope with it? Uh, Rahul, tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was a good segue because, you know, you are going through a divorce or you've just been divorced. How do you or separated? emotionally it can be a lot even though this is sort of what you might have wanted and you said you know what it's finally over you still have to cope with it and it's not an automatic you flick the switch and you're not a robot i mean it's going to take some time and some work so you know you should it's the art this article is interesting it's uh our fa you know our favorite psychology today uh website here not by v bruce lee though it's by a different author hey uh <laughs> v. Bruce Lee. Number one, it says you have to just allow yourself to grieve a little bit and experience all of the feelings of loss, anger, confusion, anxiety. You have to be able to process these emotions so that you can actually heal. Um, and the second, you have to have some support, uh, friends, yep. family, or a divorce support group. You have one, right? Uh, we have a divorce support group. or a, a We do, group yeah, set on up. Facebook. So, <laughs> yep. Um, you know, we can sort of plug that here later uh, and this uh, towards the end here. But it says you need that kind of support. You have to consider professional help if you need to, a therapist or a counselor. You want to spend a lot of time with friends and family. Surround yourself with people doing activities and uplifting you instead of sort of wallowing by yourself, home alone, you know, uh, looking on Instagram or Facebook or something, uh, which is avoid isolating yourself. Don't, big, big thing here, don't turn to the kids for support. Uh, yeah. you cannot start talking to them, bad mouthing them, having them be your closest confidant and things of that nature. Let's just let them just be kids. Uh, don't say things like your mom left us or your dad left us. And it's, it's, right. it's not healthy. Uh, take care of yourself physically. You talked about this, you know, go focus on health, eat well, exercise, give yourself that self care, uh, go to the gym. Stress reduction tools are absolutely essential. And, don't cope negatively, meaning don't resort to alcohol and drugs to sort of numb the pain or suppress it because that'll that'll make everything worse. Even though it sure. might feel good in the in the initial thing, 
uh, engage in self-care, you know, get hobbies, join some groups, some, you know, team sports, whatever it is, personal growth. Be realistic. Don't think that you should be moved on by next week. You know, it's going to take time and just just know that it's going to take time and you're making progress and maybe get a new yep. routine. And then you focus on the future. You emphasize good communication with your ex. The relationship's over, but you want to maintain that open, respectful communication clearly. And if you need to limit contact, limit contact. But you don't want any sort of volata- uh, volatility there because that just makes your life worse ultimately. And then if you're in court, if you're about to go to court, or if you just got out of court, make sure you seek the appropriate legal advice. You know, we talk to people all the time about what to do before a divorce or what to do after a divorce or during a divorce. So right. just make sure you understand the legal mm-hmm. concepts and what you should do, you know, to stay out of court basically is what the point is ultimately. When you're done, you want to be done. You don't want to go back to court next month or you don't want to go back to court next year. You just want to be right. done. And so it was a good article, kind of just some tips that, you know, again, implicitly every every week, I think we have something where implicitly we might know these things, but it's nice to see it written down because it kind of gives people a checklist. Yeah. And it's like, you know, one or two, three of these things people might not think of, or <clears throat> it's easy to get lost in the, in the sauce when you're involved in it. It's very, mm. now that I've been on the other side of being divorced, it's sort of, I understood divorce as a lawyer, but I hadn't experienced it myself. And it it was very different when I was sitting in the middle of it rather than on my own situation. And it gave me an appreciation for what people go through. And I didn't know what to do, which is why I'm working on the second book to help people go step-by-step through thinking about their, their relationship before they decide to get divorced. What do you do in that point when you're thinking it over? What, what do you go through? Who do you talk to? What's how do you evaluate it? And um, yeah, those are great, tips, all of them. Uh, we're big fans of divorce coaches and mental health professionals to help guide you through that process. Um, they're worth their weight in gold, uh, ladies and gentlemen. If you've got concerns about that stuff, consult with professionals. They will help you. They've got the training. And yes, divorce lawyers are important to get you through the legal stuff, but there's nobody better than coaches and psychologists and counselors uh, who have experience in marriage and divorce to help you with all the emotional and communication things that come up. And people are often so, quick to dismiss, like not everybody, but a lot of people are quick to dismiss. Oh, I don't need a therapist. I mean, you know, these people are good. They'll, they'll definitely make you feel better and they'll get you on the right path. I mean, they're professionals for a reason and they're good at what they do. I mean, they meaning the collective they, right? So it's uh, individually, I don't know. I mean, it depends on the person you pick, but collectively they yeah. are good. And it's, it's they're worth their weight in gold. I mean, it's sort of like, mm-hmm. why do it yourself when you can hire somebody who has the expertise, the knowledge, and the training to do that, help you with it? Yeah. And to put people's minds at ease, <clears throat> this is something we talk to clients about all the time. They'll say, well, you know, I don't need a shrink. You know, uh, I've got, or they'll say, I have a counselor. We're talking about very specifically divorce coaches, people with mm-hmm. training in divorce coaching, and also in getting, um, whether they're counselors or psychologists, there's licensed counselors that do coaching and there's psychologists who do it as well. And what we're talking about is very specific focus type of coaching that is a process-based thing. It's, it's getting you from A to B. It's not figuring out what was wrong in the relationship or, or diagnosing or treating any mental disorders. That's not okay. their role. Their role is getting you from now to getting divorced and getting through that and beyond. 
like, how do I communicate with my kids? How do I talk to my, my ex-wife? Um, what do I say at work? I feel terrible. What, how do I deal with these feelings? And it's, it's not meant to be forensic, like figuring out again, what went wrong. It's all about solving today's problems and getting it from A to B. So, yeah, so that that's useful. Anything else on that one? No, I think that's, uh, I think it was just some nice tips for people here. Yeah. So, so to, to close this, in. go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So, so to wrap this show up, we got to talk about the Barmanheimer dating trend. Oh, sure. Yep. So, you know, how, uh, for people who don't know, uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer. If there's five people, five people who don't know, I guess. Who might be, you know, on a cruise somewhere for six months without any connectivity. <laughs> sort of like those folks, right, who came back from a cruise where they didn't have any connectivity. And they realized in the middle of 2020, there's something called COVID now. They came back and they're like, yeah. what's going on here? <laughs> so, exactly. Same thing here, right? It's like uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer, two of the uh, most trendiest movies that just came out recently, blockbuster hits, uh, completely polar opposites, right? And so that's sort of the premise of of this Barbenheimer dating trend is essentially, according to this article, an invitation to swipe right. That's all right must mean that you are accepting them or you like them. So swipe right on people you otherwise wouldn't and mingle with dates who bring a fresh perspective to the table. And ah. bonus is uh, here's the tagline, right? Finding an Oppenheimer partner to compliment your inner Barbie could help you grow as a person. So it's, it's a UK article, I'm sure. It's from glam.com because it says, whilst dating outside your usual type can be new or intimidating. <laughs> yeah. That just sounds good, right? Whilst, I should throw that into my yeah. sort of vernacular here. Uh, it, yeah. it can connect you to someone who pushes you to become the best possible version of yourself. And ah. so... Again, it's sort of saying, hey, try dating somebody different. Somebody you might not be often typically the person you might first look at. It's something you talked about like uh, previously, I think in one of the previous episodes is, hey, you know, in a different trend, uh, uh, it says the dating trend is coupling up with someone who has a different demeanor. It says, think black cat and golden retriever pairings uh, or okay. people who have interests that vary from your own. And, but that's just the beginning, apparently. You'll need to keep a few things in mind, apparently, to maintain your opposites attract relationship. So it has a few points here. It says, first, use your Barbenheimer relationship as an opportunity to stretch, stretch outside your comfort zone and adopt okay. some new habits. And it's important to accept your differences and not try to change the other person and discuss in ways you clash and even though acceptance is critical, you don't have to accept all differences, especially when it means sacrificing your own needs. And then, and then they said essentially that just make sure it works for you because you don't want to become somebody you're not. So okay. interesting sort of repackaging. It's like your Taco Bell thing, right? It's like you get a new recipe and you repackage. It's the same old recipe, just in a different <laughs> name and a different format. So yeah, that's what I mean, it sounds like. So um, word to the wise. Uh, as divorce lawyers, we've done many, many, many consults and seen many divorces. <clears throat> and in our experience, we can say opposites initially attract, and then they tend to repel it over the long haul. So what's sexy and interesting when you're dating can become tiresome and wearing over the course of 10 or 20 years. So <clears throat> usually... Well, I won't even qualify it. The things that made you so different 
sort of like what they talked about in the article we were just discussing a few minutes ago about work in the relationship. What makes somebody exciting to date and good to stretch your wings, if you find yourself working hard in the marriage to keep up and to just deal with the fact that they're that different, those differences can grate over time and be like a burr under the saddle and eventually wear people out. And, uh, and so just something to think about, like that might be the fun person to date. And that we're, we are talking about dating trends, not marriage trends, but right. they might not be the right person to marry. Um, and earlier, I think in a previous episode, we talked about dating lots of different people and, and stretching your wings to get outside sort of your generic type. And I, I, there's value in that to, to realize you might find out you really do like something else that you didn't realize or that the sort of approved boyfriend or girlfriend that your family thought was good for you. You know, you go on some dates and you find out that a person who's actually somewhat different is much more appealing to you. That's great. But just be advised the person that, you know, if you're a home buddy and you marry somebody who has a rock and roll lifestyle, you might get upset about that. Eventually it's fun to do some dates, but eventually they're going to keep wanting to do the rock and roll lifestyle and you're not. And you have to kind of know what your type is because opposites attract, but they do repel <laughs> eventually. And over time, it can drive people crazy. So as we've seen that a lot. Finally, to close out the show, we're going to talk about um, a insider's dating app clinic, which I didn't know existed, but our friends at Insider have a dating app clinic. Uh, we'll have a link to this article in the bio. And in this, it's kind of interesting because Insider creates this clinic, then they generate content based on having the clinic, and then they write stories on that. So kudos to Insider for figuring out how to create a content generating machine. Okay, this guy, Tom, uh, submitted, his 39-year-old dude, submitted his Tinge profile to the Insider Dating App Clinic, where they have experts review your profile and give you suggestions on how to improve it. The matchmaker, was name is Courtney, Courtney Quinlan, suggested some tips for uh, young Tom, and those were, <laughs> Uh, she can suggest that he replace photos and talk about himself more. He should also reconsider certain deal breakers. What are these things you say? Well, I will help you. Um, Tom is 39 year old using Hinge to date. Don't know about how good Hinge is or whatever, but I know it's a popular app. Submitted the profile. He's looking to date women. He's seeking someone emotionally intelligent, supportive, and creative. Awesome. He said his deal breakers are women with children and women over 40. Newsflash to Tom. When you're 39 years old, that's kind of what you're seeing out there. <laughs> so you, you broaden, you know, when you start narrowing your focus too much, my da dating advice from Doug Palmer, my father, he's happily still walking the earth and dispensing good advice. He told me when I was asking every girl in the high school out on a date, including the senior cheerleaders when I was a freshman and wondering why I wasn't successful, he said, Rafe, you got to lower your sights a little bit. <laughs> and that was good advice. First advice was go out there and just put yourself out there. That I did. I put myself way out there and it turned out it wasn't very successful. And I was wondering what is the problem? I'm following my dad's advice to the letter and it is not working. And uh, it turned out my sights were aimed a little high because I was shooting bullets in all directions. Yeah. And, shoot. uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, got to narrow your focus. So Tom, understand that it's a, uh, this is the world out there. If you're listening, and you might want to consider ladies who have children and maybe 
somebody who's 40, considering you're 39. What's Unless you're Rupert Murdoch, of course, and you have Unless you're Rupert Murdoch, then sky's the limit, bro. You know, if you, yes. <laughs> I don't think this guy's a multimillionaire, but, or whatever, a billionaire. But if he is, then the yacht yeah. should be in the profile. Okay. Yes. All right. So he says, uh, the expert, by the way, agreed with me and cautioned against this limitation about women over 40 and women with children. Agreed. Uh, by the way, met many awesome women over 40 and women with children. We do their divorces. So there's lots of very attractive, very smart women out there who have kids and are divorced. So broaden your eyes, Tom. Yeah, exactly. Okay. He says, I'm mostly a homebody, but I like to travel and go out occasionally. Okay. Ties in with our thing about homebodies and rock and roll stars. So watch out if the lady likes to party all the time. Maybe we should watch out, Tom. Tom told Insider he thinks he did a good job conveying his personality, but could use help figuring out how to get more matches. So good Courtney Quinlan is a dating expert and owns a company called Midwest Matchmaking. She told him, <coughs> excuse me, how he could update his dating profile. Turns out, here's the, the kickoff by Ms. Quinlan. And I quote, the lighting is clear. He's dressed nicely and looks well-groomed. That sounds like damning with faint praise, let's be honest. Yes. Okay. What is she not saying? Hey, she didn't kick hey. off saying, wow, great outfit, or he looks Look super up. handsome. Or, yeah. Yeah. It's instead, he's well-groomed. Okay. Well, he's got I that like the way you look, but good job on getting a haircut. Yeah. It's important to be humorous and sincere in your dating profile, experts say. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. You can tell Tom is a smart guy with a lot going for himself, adding she'd like to read more about his personality in his profile. Now, unfortunately, we're, we're going to get to what's in the profile because you're dying to know, uh, as I was when I was reading this. She said, Tom gives off the impression he doesn't take himself too seriously. Good. And is lighthearted and easy to talk to. Also, check. Double check. Good. If any of those descriptions resonate with him, Tom should include those in his profile, Quinlan said. So she said that wasn't in his profile, that he gave off that impression when she met him. And if not, he should consider how a close friend would describe him and use that as inspiration for the written description in the profile. Um, so this, and we're getting to the good stuff. Um, so experts say including one photo with your pet is a useful way to give potential matches an idea of who you are. I'm not, it depends on the pet, ladies and gentlemen. If you've got an iguana, I'd keep that under wraps. I'm a okay? snake wrapper on myself. It rolled, if you got the exotic animal, let's roll that out later. Because what was the jungle guy, the, the TV show with the Tiger King dude or whatever? Oh, you the know? Tiger King. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you're the Tiger King, pro there's going to be, okay, maybe the tiger thing will bring out a certain kind of lady that you're interested in. But my advice is if you have like a, a Komodo dragon or something weird or a lizard or a bug or something, keep it under wraps. So, over you. That's like a... Yeah, don't you think that's like a date three thing when you finally are really into you? Then maybe you show the tank to the and, the box know, to the. If you want yeah. to stop her from ever coming back to your house, I think, or him, oh, you do yeah. it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. All right. So we're we're trying to help people out here. We're trying to help you get help you through your divorce, but also on the front end, help you find the love of your life. Or if you got divorced or you're in a divorce, get somebody new to date with. We're giving you that help. So there you go. Shout out to Valley your dogs. Henry and Winston, if you have a dog like Henry and Winston, you can certainly hold them up. They're very cute. Henry and Winston, adorable. I've seen them. Definitely put those dudes in the picture. They're great guys. Um, Labradors, big sport utility dogs. Excellent. Put them in the picture. 
Uh, it gives a rugged vibe. You know, if you're like a flannel guy, you've got that, like, the you know, I go play Frisbee with my dog. You've got the athleticism. You've got the outdoorsy. And oh, you've got this. Dog, like, you have either a paintball gun or you have, like, an axe you're holding. What's cooler <laughs> than that? I mean. And the dog is standing there obediently looking nice, awesome. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Right. So here we go. We're getting into the meat, though. Um, <clears throat> here we go. You're going to love this. Um, Quinlan said she often hears her women clients say they find it unattractive when a man is really into Star Wars. <laughs> uh oh. I don't think this you is a quote. I don't, think Tom should, I don't think Tom should hide the fact that he likes Star Wars from people, but wearing a costume in his online dating photo could come across as too much. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Tom had a picture in like a stormtrooper outfit or whatever he was wearing on the profile. Okay. <laughs> So it's not a turn on to the ladies. Uh, I'm sorry. Unless you are Harrison Ford, then you can wear your Han Solo outfit, even at age 70, whatever, and probably land a couple of girls. But this dude is not to wear the Star Wars outfit. Okay. Uh, instead, he can briefly mention Star Wars in the written part of his profile. It's also fine to save the topic for a first date conversation. I recommend the fourth or 10th date to roll that out on. Uh, I'll tell you about my own life. Okay. I like model trains. I don't hide that fact anymore. I'm 54 years old. It wasn't a turn on in college to tell girls, Hey, I love model trains. That's an instant girls disappear thing to talk about. There were no trains in my fraternity house. There were no train magazines in my fraternity house. I used a different part of my personality, which is I also like to surf and I love water sports and sailing and boats and that stuff girls think is cool. That was what I talked about. So Get free dating advice too, not just this article. All right. So this is great. Tom could replace the photo, the Star Wars uniform photo, with a different one himself cuddling and playing with his cat. I'm not so sure, but okay, well, I'll let I'm gonna let the expert better of two evils. Thank you. Excellent point, Rahul. Since experts do say it can be beneficial to show your pet in your dating profile, we just talked all about that. We won't go over that again. Wait until you meet in person to show off tattoos, according to Quinlan. Apparently he had some pictures of the tats in the, in the photos. And I'm guessing they were like the rebel Alliance tattoos. You know, they weren't, they were the star Wars tattoos. Okay. Tattoos are best safe for first dates since a potential match might get the wrong impression. If you show them off on your profile. Okay. Good point. Tom might be a really good match to a woman who isn't super fond of tattoos right now. She might swipe no on him when she sees the picture Quinlan told insider. She suggested he remove the picture and let women get to know him first. Good advice. They'll get over the tattoo if they grow to like him. I'm guessing we're not hearing fully about how this tattoo might not be the best. And unfortunately, the picture, I can't see the picture here. It might be in the article, though. It's probably not uh, like Lincoln, the rock, Dwayne Johnson's tattoo that's cool with his shoulder. You know, it's probably not one of those tattoos. Yeah, he doesn't look like the rock. I'll just, I'll, spoiler alert. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't own his own tequila brand either. Okay. Uh, by the way, Terramana, good tequila. Terramana, if you're looking to sponsor a blog, or I'm sorry, a awesome podcast, we're here for you. You know, we I enjoy a fine tequila. I, I'm a fan. Okay. Uh, here's a good one. Tom did show a good job of showing off his interest in the written stuff. She said the fact he can speak in front of a crowd. I think there's a photo of him talking in like a business context, like on stage, which is good. That says a lot about him. Lead women to think he's charming and well-articulated. Excellent. Agreed. Quinlan said Tom should keep his fun photo in his profile. Um, it's, um, and then said, uh, 
shouldn't discount potential matches that are just one year older than he is. <laughs> Build a little flexibility into that age range, bro. Uh, there are a lot of attractive women who are in their 40s, cut some slack, and 50s, by the way. So don't be closed-minded. Now, if you want children, I get it. You're thinking about you want kids. That's different, maybe. But uh, still, uh, be flexible. She said she he should consider dating women who are a few years older than him, judging on a case-by-case -case basis. Yes, excellent, instead of by their ages. Right. Right now, he's potentially missing out on some women who could be great matches for him. So that I thought this article was really interesting on a number of levels and sort of fun to talk about, obviously. But um, yeah, these dating these days, we, we talked in a previous episode about how the interesting trend they're seeing in research is now that dating apps are so visual that women are only swiping right or left, whatever means they like somebody on 10% of men in these apps and men are swiping right or whatever it is on 50% of female profiles. And it's, you would think men would be selective visually and because we're supposed to be pigs and only like women for their attractiveness or whatever. But it, what ends up happening is women are forced to be visual because the app only allows them to be visual and not listen to a guy talk or see three dimensions about the person. So they say they're getting a very limited view of people. And since it's only visual, that's all they have to go on. They're highly selective. And so guys, you have to work extra, extra hard to be noticed in your dating profiles. That's why these tips are really important. And if there's a way to put any kind of video out there, even a brief blurb about you, especially you have like a nice voice or something, even it's just a blurb about you saying, hi, my name is so-and-so, I would find a way to put video on there. It's way more communicative about who a person is than static photos or text. Um, I've seen that in the world of um, interviewing people for jobs. Um, their resume is nothing like seeing them on video and then certainly meeting them in person. So anyway, hope that helps. Uh, anything else on that, Rahul? No, I just think it's, it's, it's funny and interesting, but it also gives you all this, all these tips. Right. And I mean, you know, we're just kind of, you know, poking fun at Tom. I think you said his name was at Tom here. Yeah. We're not, we're not here uh, to attack this. Point, we're not right? attacking. It's funny. He's on the newspaper. He's in the news. And you know, that tells us how old we are right in the newspaper. So he's in the news and, and, you know, it's kind of in jest, but it, it gives you tips on how to essentially, you know, go on these sites and dominate, I guess, for lack of a better word, as opposed to sort of being the, uh, I'm not interested person. So. Yeah. And if you're interested in more on this, Insider has their dating app clinic. We're going to have the, the article is in the show notes and then you can jump to it if you want. So yeah, that's it for the pod. Thanks for watching. Like, share, subscribe for more on this. We do these weekly. Uh, we're out there on social media at Rayford Palmer for TikTok, Instagram. Got an Illinois, Illinois uh, Divorce Support Network on Facebook, private Facebook group where we talk about divorce. Got 750 members or so and growing fast every day. Uh, we are on YouTube, YouTube Shorts, the podcast uh, website is I just want this done pod.com and uh, listen to it. Where, like I said, please tell people about us, share, and um, we're glad you like the show. Give us feedback. We love the comments. It helps us make the show better. Thank you. Thank you, guys.